You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. WA. This is the World Football Program. I'm Sean Kelly. I'll be your host for the next hour. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful Songs for Ireland program. Um, good debate there about St. Patrick and the Catholicism of Ireland. I wanted to get into it myself, but it's a little hobby I have. Um, in the studio joining me today is Lou Prospero. Good morning, Lou. How are you? Good morning, Sean. Great to be here. Wonderful. And on today's show, we'll be talking to Ramon Falzon. Uh, from Perth SC, Tash Rigby, the Perth Glory W League captain, Ivan Zvella from Knights, who won their Knights series, and we'll finish up with Greg Farrell from West Coast Futsal. We're talking about the wonderful world of futsal. But into the, the news and what's going on in, in the world around the place, it's official, the world has gone crazy. It's amazing, isn't it? Every night, we wake up every morning. There's something else going on in the world. It's going cray, cray, crazy. It is. I know. Look, it's. I'm not diminishing or or trying to make it smaller than it is. It is a very virulent flu. It is a cold. It is something that we're going to we're going to catch. There's there's no way we can avoid it. And I've heard some experts reckon that it's actually better if we do catch it because we'll get an immunity to it. But right now. We've gone crazy. It's like the apocalypse out there. It's like the the zombie apocalypse. People are just buying everything off the shelf except the vegan food. <laughs> toilet rolls have gone. I'm shaking hands with my elbow because there's no toilet paper out there. I'm not shaking hands with anyone for a month. <laughs> um, but it's gone absolutely all mental. San- uh, all sanitizer. That's all gone. Yep. But the but, question I want to ask yeah. is why isn't the world suing China? I mean, at the end of the day, they've caused all this issue worldwide. It's going to be a financial burden. So what you're I saying mean, is that the world hasn't gone crazy. The world's gone bats. 
Well, <laughs> oh, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but look, it, it was out there. Yes, with these things cross over. We've had MERS, we've had SARS, we've had avian flu. We've had all those things happen previously. Um, I don't think blaming anybody right now is is the, the key. My biggest issue isn't the actual um, flu itself because that's coming. We're all getting it. Yeah. The biggest problem I've got now is all this isolation stuff. There's people being laid off casual hours because the, the, the cafes, restaurants and other businesses haven't got the trade. There's um, educational facilities like TAFEs and that are pulling back so casual tutors aren't getting paid. They're now talking about closing some schools so the, the teachers won't be getting paid. The parents will have to stay at home and look after their kids. Some of those parents will be nurses and doctors and other people. So we're going to diminish... Business people that can't stay home? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then small businesses. What if you're in a service industry like a restaurant or weddings or um, discos or whatever? You know, 500 people in a disco is normal. Um, nightclubs. I mean, the the financial damage this can do across the world because of panic. We are going to get it. If you're fit and healthy, you will survive it. You know, you, you've got nothing to do. You're going to be stuck at home. There's no EPL, no basketball, no, no A-League. You know, I don't mind being at home, but I've got to watch something and there's nothing to watch. Well, there's movies. Yeah, I've seen them all. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be watching reruns of well, the think, movies. I but, think for the local league, though, to to be honest, unless uh, um, Football West puts out a, a, a notice saying that you can't play anymore, uh, I think things will just continue as Absolutely. well as the, the juniors uh, in playing. I mean, I don't know, as they were saying today, where this uh, magic figure of 500 comes from. Uh, given well, 500 and Monday. So what was different between Sunday and Monday? What's the difference between 499 and 500? Yeah, exactly. So If it's, if it's on. Now, I'm, I'm going to go out when I get finished this radio show, I'm going to go to my shopping centre and guarantee there'll be more than 500 people in there. Yeah, absolutely. We're not stopping that. No, no. Now, and I imagine if you go, well, to you casi- could. if you go to the casino. Well, I mean, it happened in Italy. You can't walk the streets there now unless you go into the supermarket or a chemist, and you, you go straight back home. Yeah. So you know. I so don't sen- know. sensible precautions, people. Let's not panic. Most of us will survive, and unfortunately, there will be. And you know, sad as it is, some some people are old, suffering from health issues, and my father's one of them. Yeah. Will get sick mm. and may die. Yeah, but for for most of us, I mean, our clubs put out a thing to all our players, and what we've we've asked the players to do is to re- reduce their risk whilst they're training and playing. So all we've done is said to them: no handshaking, no team huddle, no sharing of any equipment. Don't share drinks, towels, lip balm, sunscreen. Bring your own. Limit dressing room and training attendance to to only the need to be there. Coaching staff, um, players to stay. Uh, as far as they can from each other during team meetings. Um, wash your hands regularly. And the, and the tip with washing your hands, warm, soapy water. If you've got... And sanitizers is a luxury. But warm, soapy water works just as well. Sing happy birthday to yourself whilst you're washing your hands. That's long enough. <laughs> Either that or... I, I'd, I'd love to get hold of some carbolic soap. Carbolic soap killed dog fleas, cat fleas, um, anything else. And it stopped kids from swearing. It's brilliant stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's simple stuff so use hand well, sanitizer to wash your hands keep their hands away from your, uh, your, yeah. your face so well, at the end of the day a nurse friend of mine says if you're going to put your hands above your shoulders wash them yeah simple simple precautions and, so what and happens with the celebrations now when you score a goal 
You just go, yay, little fist bump, that's it. That's enough. Let's, yeah. not, let's not get carried away with it. It's just a goal, son. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the win in the, the, the 91st minute. Absolutely. You but know how exciting that can be. Oh, absolutely, I do. But it still doesn't change the fact that we've got to be sensible about what we're doing. Yeah. I don't know. Lockouts are not good. The From, from an A-League perspective we're, and other sports that are still playing, what we're doing now is we're telling people we're going to play the game in an empty stadium and you can watch at home. Not a good thing. Mm. Not well, a good thing. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a question I constantly ask Simon Hill when he comes on the program. Uh, how much... Does the attendance figures um, being uh, taken into account when people are buying uh, pay TV and yeah. watching from home instead of actually going to the crowd? Yeah. And the figures actually are calculated in that attendance figure. Mm. So, but the other thing is, uh, Sean, now you can do streaming. So, obviously, there's no figures on that. So, really, you can't get a realistic figure of the amount of people watching a particular game. No, exactly. And I, th- I just don't know. We, we should take sensible cautions, go about our business. If you're immunosuppressed or elderly, then obviously take more precautions. And maybe if you are feeling crook, get to the doctor early. What I'd hate to see is people not being able to be hospitalised who needed it because there was someone in the bed who was a prominent politician, for example, who really didn't need to be there. It's no, no, but they take up a good hospital bed. That someone who's yeah, well, years. look, I mean, he's been isolated because he actually has been found to have it. So, and he did have asthma as a child. So there is an underlying health reason for him. Yeah. I, I'm not, yeah, again, I'm not diminishing it, but no. fit, normal, healthy people will survive it. Yes, you're going to feel like. But again, I mean, it, for a while. it was being broadcast this morning that people need to be aware of the symptoms that they have. Yeah. Uh, and there's other criteria. If you have uh, met with people who have come back from overseas, mm. or if you haven't, then you you don't have it, yeah. or if you travelled yourself. So go through that in your mind. Don't uh, clog up the doctor surgeries and yeah. the emergency departments Fif- because you think you got a bit of a 1,500 people tested, 850 turned away because you didn't fit the criteria. So it's over half the people there were turned away because now you haven't got it anyway. From what you tell me, there's no way you got it. Of the other 650 that they tested, 14 came back positive. So the, the rates aren't high. No. But, you know, and then... You don't wait till it Then be sensible. Well. Don't don't go to the Glory Game. Don't go to the Perth Concert Hall if, you, if you're feeling, feeling crook. Well. Yeah. Look, the normal things. But I really do feel for the small businessmen and other people who will struggle um you know the the um business isn't there you can't employ people then you're going to have to pull in your financial things that means that sponsorships for soccer clubs um and other things will go out the window you can't employ the people that you need they can't pay their mortgages all of a sudden we're we're in a a recession but also the clubs to survive they they've got to put on events to raise some money uh, sean so if they can't hold events because of the restriction, then what happens then? Oh, absolutely. You look at this now with the um, the list or the thing saying uh, 500 people, um, other than Western Sydney United, who else in the A-League could actually have a crowd? Yeah. Because for them, that 500 would be all right. But for everyone else, they're, they're over 500. The Glory would not be able to have a crowd in their stadium. Then what happens to people who bought season tickets? I mean, I've bought season tickets for the Champions League. I've not seen one game. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and then if you well, well, maybe later in the year you might. But yeah, but if you're holding a season ticket for the for the year, those games there that you've already prepaid for, um, faith in then next year when they they're looking for memberships, you go, yeah, you know what? Maybe I won't. Well, the, for me, the most disappointing thing is that we're not going to see the Socceroos, and you know, I was told by an insider, hold out before you buy tickets because it may not happen because of the virus. So. Mm. I took that advice, but, you know, the general crowd obviously wouldn't have. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, that's been postponed, but who knows when that's going to happen, if it's going to happen. Yeah, so, look, massive news out there. EPL game suspended to April the 4th. Um, European Champions League suspended. Um, the Euros suspended. Matilda's Friendlies suspended. Socceroos games cancelled. A-League. Um, CDR. Yeah, um, worldwide, yeah, absolutely. It's worldwide, yeah, absolutely. So you know we're, but nothing really going to matter until Monday because the five hundred limit doesn't cut until then. So anybody going to the game at the weekend is not going to be at risk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know it's madness. It is absolutely obvious. as I said earlier on. The world has officially gone mad. Um, let's be sensible about this. Take sensible precautions. Wash your hands whenever you can. Um, cover, cover when you cough or sneeze. And we'll all be safe. Yeah, simple, isn't it? All right, we'll be back with Ramon Falzon after these messages. They can say what they want now. West Coast Futsal Association has social competitions at Hollywood Futsal Club in West Perth and the Mount Lawley Futsal Club. Competitions are open for new players looking for a kick around with mates from Monday to Friday. For those looking at high level futsal, there is the Junior Leagues in Karanjap on weekends and the Male and Female Super League competitions based in Subiaco. For more information, contact Brittany on 0481 881343. Do you want better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. And we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station Sponsor. 107.9 FM, your local station. 107.9 Well, whilst the world may be going crazy, someone that doesn't go crazy, very controlled, very well-mannered and um, totally in control of his soccer club is Ramon Falzone, who joins us this morning. Ramon, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yourself. Yeah, it's very good. Congratulations on the uh, night series win, mate. The, it's been a, a while in night series. I think that's the first one in 10 years, which is unusual for your club. Uh, yeah, um, uh, a bit unusual, but at the same time, from our side, I think we've had a good pre-season. Uh, wanted to expose our depth as much as we could to prepare ourselves for the MPL. And... Uh, all the boys did really well. Yeah, the depth of a squad is very important uh, season uh, long, uh, Ramon. Uh, and as you said, you got a bit of depth there. How, how important um, and how big should a squad be um, for the MPL? Uh, 
Well, uh, I'm European. I was always used to kind of squads of 22-23, kind of having two players per position. Uh, quite obviously makes it a little bit hard to manage. Um, and obviously players that, uh, you know, at our level, we are part-timers. Uh, they don't like, you know, after work, rocking up to training week after week, and I'm sitting on the bench week after week. So I do understand that perspective, but uh, having a squad of, in my opinion, 20 plus is uh, is essential, especially like what we experienced over the last two years. Um, we end up playing till mid-September, late September because of the national finals. So when do you finalise your squad? Is it normally a, a Thursday night after training? Uh, so the players who aren't picked in the squad, they go back into the under-23s. Is that how it works? Yes, uh, practically it's, uh, Thursday night is selection night, so we uh, work during the week and on Thursday we work tactically and it's, uh, uh, sometimes kind of through the tactics players can gauge uh, if they will be starting or not. Um, uh, but communication is key, even if a player is going to start on the bench or... Uh, the drop to the 20s, I, uh, I tend to communicate a lot with them just so that they know uh, what's actually happening, especially if they've had a good training week. So when you're selecting your side, I mean, obviously some players um, train better than others and you know, the, when they play, it's a bit different. Um, it's not always just about their effort in training. It's also about how you match up against your opponent. Do you, do you consider that when you're doing your, your team selections? Yeah, um, uh, but we've evolved a lot over the last four years. And uh, when I started, because we, uh, Gareth Navin before me, had started kind of bringing on the old few experienced players to balance the equation. Um, uh, so uh, we didn't have neither the quantity nor the uh, quality at that stage in 2006, cause, uh, in 2016, because we were just, you know, forming the foundation. Mm. So 2016-17, uh, it was mainly dictated by the players that were in, uh, in good form. Um, starting to bring a few youth players through, involving youngsters from our 20s regularly at training to create a depth. Um, now I give more preference to the tactical solutions we need yeah. on Sunday. Based on the tactics, then we see uh, who needs to play in which position during the week. Absolutely. Now, we talked a little bit about depth of squad. Um, over the close season, you, you've lost some key players in uh, Francis Sol, um, Harley Orr and Christian Santic. But you've, you've had some pretty good uh, replacements that you've picked up along the way as well. Yes. Um, uh Kind of losing a player or two is expected every season. Um, even if we have a tight unit of boys and there's incredibly good harmony within the dressing room. Um, we've had the time to get back on the national stage last year and try to go a little bit further. Boys were incredible against Heidelberg because it was the highly ranked, highest ranked NPL team back then. Yep. Uh, and we never expected how many clubs were actually going to call our boys from Melbourne after that. Losing three, we didn't expect it, but they've been very good servants for the club. 
so they kind of left with our blessing. Um, players that we brought in in terms of Sasha, Jackson, Jakob, Luka, uh, Ryan, um, Dave gelled immediately, had a, had a very good preseason, uh, and at the same time, as we usually do, we, we constantly try to, you know, work on three, four players from around their 20s to, uh, to try and get them to step up to a first-team level this year. And of course, you've you've had some very successful youth team coming through in uh, Zimarino. So, you know, you've, you've got a good production line that's feeding into your first team as well. Oh, absolutely, and I think it's uh, it's essential for uh, for the survival of our club. Um, not having the uh, kind of the ability to go and recruit five, six visa players like it was a few years ago before the MPL started. Um, in my opinion, forces the club to, as much as possible, produce a few players uh, from uh, from your own backyard. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I know everyone emphasizes on the importance of the first team, but the way the MPL is, in my opinion, 20s and 18s are as much as, much as important as the first team, because uh, through the 20s, the 20s and 18s, they should be feeding a player or two into the first team every season, in my opinion. Oh, without a doubt. Well, what's your thoughts on, on the, the restrictions on visa players? Do you think it's a, a good thing or do you think it's a bad thing? I know we, we used to bring in some, some journeymen that were really no better than what we were producing, but it's nice to be able to bring in some real quality uh, occasionally, isn't it? Yeah, uh, when it comes to visa players, I was all even when I was still back uh, back home in Europe. I was always of the perspective that to bring a foreigner, he must be something that that we don't have. Uh, he must definitely be uh, be a type of player. I don't want to say necessarily better, but have some characteristics that we uh, we don't have in the squad are very hard to find in WA. Uh, like, like for example, Gustavo with his Brazilian flair. It's, uh, yeah. it's something kind of inbreded in him through his culture, through his country, and that's something that is uh, quite unique in WA. Yeah, without a doubt. But I think also when you look at it, there's the visa laws are quite restrictive. I've I've have the opinion myself. If someone comes out here on a, a trade visa to work as an electrician, he's come out here as an electrician. And as, a, as far as being a footballer is concerned, he shouldn't be considered a visa player because he's not out here primarily to play football. And we do have a large contingent of foreign nationals who are out here on on their trade skills. Uh, it just seems a little unfair. Yeah, and uh, a few years ago when the MPL started, I remember it initially started with four, then it dropped to three, then it dropped to two. Hmm. Um, I was originally kind of against dropping it. Um, but something that is beyond our control, which is, you know, immigration immigration laws, they've made it at the moment so hard to get a permanent or a temporary visa for Australia that uh, I think even if they were to lift it back to three or four visa players, I think it will be incredibly hard for clubs to, uh, to find visa players just because mm. of the... Uh, 
the laws are very restrictive at the moment. I know, but the the building trades. I mean, a lot of lads came over from Ireland. There's been plenty of good Irish boys who've played at the highest level in this state who've counted as visa players but again they've come out here primarily um as their as a tradesman and not a footballer and i think yeah that that's the the part that's particularly hurtful for them because they're more than capable of playing at the highest level they would actually benefit um the the competition but because of that visa restriction they've got to play first division or amateurs depending on what visa they have because they can't receive payments on some of them I mean, the positive side of it, though, yeah. if you restrict the visa place, it, it gives the opportunity for the local juniors a career path. Um, and at Perth, obviously, they've got the depth. I mean, mm. they've won all three leagues last year. So oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, so it's a testament to the club yeah. of developing their juniors. They're coming through the ranks, and each division, they're actually uh, performing. So... Uh, as we started the program, talking to Ramon was the, the depth of the squad. So if yeah. each club concentrate on their juniors and they continue to come through the ranks, then they could have the same success. Yeah. I suppose, look, if, we, if we're keeping on that, that um, theme of, of depth of squad, um, the Floriot team you faced last week in the final was um, seven short. I think Dean Evans decided he'd get married on the day of the final, which really didn't help. In and Melbourne. In Melbourne, he took a lot of players with him. Um, so, do you think this 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 game today will be um, Floriot's chance to show you what could have happened in the final? Um, I'm quite sure Floriot will be stronger today, uh, and definitely after beating them twice in the night, this kind of they'll be uh, they'll be coming out to make a statement. Um, but from our side. Kind of, you can only you can only put, uh, beat what you have in front of you. Um, uh, we work very hard week after week with an extended squad, just for that reason. So as much as possible, no matter how many players we have missing game, that hopefully doesn't uh, it doesn't affect the performance and hence the result. Um, but. Even ourselves last week, uh, last week we had six players missing. Mm. We had Jovic and Andreas had weddings. Uh, Frankie, Matt, Gustavo injured, and Nicolò uh, was slightly injured. I left him on the bench, so even we had six players missing last week. Oh no! Look, at that. I don't disagree with you. I just, you know, I think that their perception was they were seven missing and. They don't worry about what you were missing. But, um, yeah, there is an inspiration for them there. Are you going to have um, some some of your players coming back today as well, Roman? Yes, uh, hopefully Gustavo, Alexiovic and Andreas will be back today. Okay. Um, it will be a while for Frank and Nicola because they're injured. And Matt Milankovic, hopefully he'll be, uh, he'll be back in a, in a week or two. So... Uh, uh, we're getting close, but at the same time, you know, losing players with injury suspensions now it becomes it becomes the normal bit. Um, we try as much as possible from our side uh, since I started as part. Um, a typical player, as soon as they see you know a key player or an important player gets injured, they start to panic. Um, but since day one at part, I I always focused on the collective. And try to shift their mentality that, uh, and if we have a player or two or three missing, uh, we shouldn't change our mentality, our approach, our expectations. 
So what's the ambition uh, this year for the club, Ramon? Well, uh, quite obviously, everyone <laughs> plays in the MPL to try to do it. Um, from, uh, from my side, I won't change the approach with the boys. We'll always approach it game by game. Um, uh, week by week, especially at the moment with the coronavirus. <laughs> we don't know who will be playing next week. Yep. Um, uh, but, yeah, the, the boys know, uh, know quite yep. well now that uh, come crunch time, July, August, um, we want to be up there fighting for the title. Um, to do that, now we need to find a little bit of consistency. So, um, play well, pick up points, so that come the last six, seven games of the season, we're up there fighting for the title. Absolutely. Now, you, you touched on the coronavirus. Do, do you as a club have anything out there for your players, any guidance, advice, or are you doing anything particular to to make sure your players are insulated from it? Yeah, the, uh, the club has taken precautions in terms of, you know, uh, Hygiene, dressing room, water bottles. So, uh, absolutely, the club took some action. Um, but at the same time, it's a bit um, it's a bit daunting because no matter how many precautions a club can take, it's a, it's a contact sport. So, uh, I'm not a medical person. So, uh, but from what I read, apparently the uh, People can be carriers without even feeling the symptoms for a few days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, with, yeah. with, with, a, with a contact sport, if someone uh, has it before the symptoms, <laughs> the whole squad is going to bloody get it within a few, <laughs> within few days. Well, I think the thing is, and, and you know, the, the popular opinion is that it's coming. We, we will have it in our community. It's what we do to mitigate the risks and to, to limit the spread of transmission. I think you know, we shouldn't be closing everything down and, you know, games need to go ahead. I, I just don't see the, the value in it, but it will be, as we've been the theme of this conversation, uh, a test of the depth of a squad and your ability to um, get boys out there week in, week out. Because as you know yourself and very well know, um, consistency is the key when you're winning titles. Any, any instructions, uh, Ramon, as problem. well? Sorry, Ramon, any instructions as well in regards to goal celebrations? No hugging, no no pats on the back or anything like that? You just score and go back uh, to the no. halfway line? No, I, I didn't make any uh, any restrictions to the boys because I told them, listen, it doesn't make sense at all that I, for example, forbid you to shake hands. But then two minutes later, we're training. Uh, I'm marking you and I'm breathing all over you at the same time because I'm marking <laughs> yeah, you. That's true. So, yeah. uh, and I even told the boys, I told them, listen, yes, uh, something new, something that uh, even doctors are concerned about. So uh, I told them, but at the same time, it, uh, um, we just need to be vigilant. We don't need to be alarmed. We'll proceed as normal. Um, uh, and I told them, listen, let's take the facts uh, for the time being, which is mainly, you know, young, healthy people, they're yeah. fine. But I suppose from, from that perspective, um, what happens if, it, God forbid, goes through your coaching team? Um, you've got contingencies there because, you know, obviously um, as the head coach, if for whatever reason you have to self-isolate, do you have um, plans in place for that? Ah, 
we will definitely always follow the uh, the instructions issued by the Department of Health if it was to happen. Yeah. Sort of, uh, well, that, that has been a reference, and even Football West has issued the instruction follow uh, the protocols issued by the Department of Health. Um, uh, from my player side, all them kind of no need to be alarmed for ourselves. But uh, at the same time, you know, 70-plus-year-old people that especially have had, have had uh, health yeah. complications or health difficulties in the past, those are at high risk. And we all have relatives or come in contact with mm. those type of people. So I told them, we just <clears> need to be vigilant. If you don't feel 100%, just run to the doctor. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right, so you, you've won three out of the last four titles. Do you, you Obviously, you, you believe that you can do it again. Who do you see as your biggest threats this year? Guelop are very bullish about their their aims and Ambition, goals. Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, honestly, I think the Saint-Pierre is going to be harder, more balanced, more competitive. Um, uh, Guelop, I thought, have shown very good signs during the night series. Uh, I reckon even Florian. Um, improved, they're even stronger. Um, even Bayswater, um, they seem that they're going to be stronger than last year. You can't eliminate Balcata. Last year they were in the uh, in the top four. Even as he since kind of took over, uh, I thought that they were good times in the uh, in the night areas and uh, and quite obviously Inglewood, who like. Last year didn't start that well, but quietly, quietly finished second and then the grand final. So I think it's going to be a, a massive fight till the end between these, te- between these teams to to make the top four and only one of them will win the title. Absolutely. Ramon, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Best of luck for the season and uh, let's hope everyone stays healthy. Thanks a lot. Same to you. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Ramon. Thanks. Okay, Ramon falls on there with his view on this year. Very interesting when you look at all those things that could play out with the coronavirus and what's going on. Um, for anyone interested today, there are some good games out there. Armadale are playing Bayswater. That would be at the Alfred Skeet Reserve. Um, Perth Floret, they're playing at Dorian Gardens. Balcatra are at home to ECU Joondalup. Sorrento up at Windy Hill, they're playing Coburn City. Inglewood are at whatever they're calling their stadium this year, <laughs> <laughs> playing Rockingham City. At Inglewood. At, at Inglewood. <laughs> and Perth Glory are being hosted by Forestfield. Um, so they're playing Grelup Croatia. So some excellent games to get out there and have a look at. Um, I'll be interested to see how the pitch holds up. I know just what having a game there every week does to a pitch. Um, mm. It's it's And it's not just the pitch, it's the off-field stuff because you've still got to provide volunteers and other things for your club so but now but I wouldn't take it on good on Forestfield yeah I don't think they would take it on if they couldn't cope with it so they, they need to do but it's been they've I mean they've been nomadic I, I and Don I know we spoke about this before are of the opinion maybe what they should do is not have a home ground and they play all their games away but you know it's it's a struggle. They've got to go through this every year, negotiating with people, and then you know, as Inglewood did, as um, Ashfield did, um, you find out that they it's that hard on your ground that you you can't sustain it. Yeah, well, they, like I say, the, the contingency um, 
and management plan of the actual ground must come into play. I mean, yeah. if, they, if they're asking for Glory to come there and play, then they need to... Then they've done it and know, know exactly what it, what it entails. Yeah. But, you know, you, you do and sometimes you, th- you, you think you've got it right and it, you know, it does, doesn't quite happen and your pitch does suffer. No matter what you do, your pitch is going to suffer unless you've got a really good ground management plan. Um, Forestfield, like most other clubs, are reliant on the council and the councils tend to not look after soccer clubs. But that's how it goes. But no, good, good on them. Look, I think great initiative for them. It is it is a good thing to do. We should be supporting football and I don't have a problem with them doing it. I think, you know, good on them. Um, Glory do need to have a home ground to play out of. Um, I can't think of um, much better grounds than, than that to play out of. It's a great little stadium. So, you know, good on Forestville for taking it on, but I still think long-term, either Glory needs to get their own home ground or they could play out of everybody's facilities twice and that way it's an extra revenue raiser for the clubs that they're playing against. And Yeah, and I think that's why they're going the from load. club... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think they're going from club to club. Yeah, but share the load. Year. Yeah, but share the load across the season. It would be a much, much, much better option. I think. Even when Sorrento shared with Joondalup, it was hard on their pitch. It's not just about the glory; it's about pitch sharing. Unless you've got AstroTurf, not going to work. All right, um, we've got Tash Rigby coming up very shortly. I'll give her a call after these messages. <laughs> a junior trainee at Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. I am the fourth generation of our family business. Oswest Fencing is built on 50 years of experience, creating unique fencing and gates and servicing the West Australian community. Let us help you secure and refurbish your home or business with customised materials and automation made to laugh. Ring us on 9258 6822 to discuss your ideas or visit our online galleries at auswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Station sponsor. Are you considering data and software development? From a simple website to custom office automation software, phone Andy at DataPlatz on 0414 263 938. That's 0414 263 938. Station sponsor. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Whoops. Now, looking out the window there, it's um, looking a bit gloomy. Looks like there might be some rain and perfect football weather. Oh, I used to love playing in the rain. Did oh, you, same Sean? Here. I love. Oh. Pl- I just love playing. I didn't mind the rain, <laughs> and, and now at my age, I just love to play. Um, so yeah, I, look, I'm an absolute nut for football. Um, someone else is an absolute nut for football. Is our next guest Tash Rigby, who is the captain of the Perth Glory W League side, um, superstar, um, super centre back, and uh, just an all round nice girl. So Tash, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, superb. All the better for talking to you. Um, Captain of the Perth Glory, what, what's that mean to you? Oh, so much. This was one of the most amazing seasons I've ever played because of that reason. It was super rewarding and super challenging, um, but my girls were incredible, so it was um, an easy job with them. They're all such amazing women and amazing players, so it was an honour to be able to lead them 
And and pretty big shoes to step into, although she's not physically big. Um, <laughs> Sam's presence on the pitch is huge. And, and as a captain, she, she demands so much from people, but um, has so much respect, she gets it as well. So, you know, for you, was that, that a challenge or...? Oh, well, I, I tried not to look at it that way. I learned so much from Sam when um, she was our captain for the three years that I played under her. And she did nothing but always lead by example. And she was just such a positive, grounded woman. So it was awesome to be able to learn from the, her and then an honour just to be able to step into those shoes. I mean, she had bigger and better things to go on to. So it was so good to see her um, move to Chelsea. And we were cheering her on from afar. But yeah, no, I think that I had to do it so um, yeah, it was really enjoyable, and um, I think Sammy would be proud. Oh, I think she would. I, th- I think if she had a, a personal hand in it, she would have nominated you anyway, because you, you are uh, that sort of infectious personality. Um, your season didn't start off so well, but ended fantastically. Um, is that part of that process of learning to, to deal with out playing with a superstar in the side and uh, a very young side with some, some new girls in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had a bit of a rough start um, due to the fact that we had a shorter pre-season than usual and we didn't actually get our internationals in until the second round. So usually we get those girls in a little bit earlier um, so that we can kind of find that gel and that glue earlier in the season. And I think that's what happened and why we struggled at the start because we were still trying to find like the team dynamic within, an- within one another. Sorry, And once we found that, I think spending a week together we actually had two away games um so we played sydney and then newcastle so we stayed over um on the east coast for a week we really um built a trust with one another and we all started to gel and it was great for our team culture and after that we just started winning games and then obviously we um beat sydney which was fantastic considering they were sitting second on the ladder so Mm -hmm. i think if we had a few more games under our under our belt at the end there, we could have gained some momentum and maybe pushed the top four, but that's the nature of the W League. It is such a short season. So, I mean, I'm just so proud and so glad that we did find that gel in the end um, and were able to finish really strong. And that's the problem, isn't it? Every season you get changes within the squad. Um, it takes a while to gel. I mean, it's happened with the men's team as well. So, you mm. know, once you start to get that gel... Um, the question is, uh, are you going to have the nucleus of the same squad next season? Yeah, exactly. So hopefully <coughs> we get the same girls back. We lost a lot of our internationals that we had in uh, last year, but we had some amazing girls. We had Ariana uh, Romero come back. I played with her in my first year, and she was just like a fantastic positive influence on the team. Um, so hopefully we can get the, the same girls back next season and we can just continue to build on what we what we created towards the end of the season but we're a really dynamic team and we're really flexible and so I think it just takes uh, a little bit of time to to find that cohesion within the team so hopefully we can get a bit of a longer pre-season get the girls in a bit earlier and start that process a little bit earlier this season coming. Yeah and I think one of the things for me was that there was um, a larger emphasis on local based players and obviously people like yourself um, Jenna Onions but this year um, Hannah Lowry coming through was was a great thing because a lot of these girls don't get that exposure at that level and think you know yeah, the start of the season was difficult, but by the end of the season, they're, they're all season players now coming into next season. It's not going to be such a, a, a shock of an experience and they'll know what they're doing. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think Bobby um, had an emphasis on playing the younger local girls this season. And I think he's put in place uh, almost like a five-year plan to um, to build from our local WA talent, which is fantastic because we do have it available to us, particularly with the young girls, like you said, Hannah Lowry. We've got Letitia McKenna, we've got Lexi, we've got Bella, Wallhead. All of those girls are still so young. And the fact that they were given the opportunity to debut this season is just so exciting. And they were amazing. They were definitely up for the challenge. You saw Hannah come on against Newcastle and score the most amazing header yep. off the corner. And I think she was the second youngest player um, in the W League history to score. So that in itself just speaks volumes about the um, the local girls. So, yeah, it's really exciting to see them given the opportunity and to build um, from our local talent and not have to rely on those internationals to bring the standard up. So without the internationals now, they've gone back to their respective countries, I guess. Um, what about the local girls? They're slipping into the NPL local league? Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it goes this season. Obviously, everything's changed from state league to WNPL. But I think it, it was a little bit of a shock um, to lose Queen's Park, which is who I played for and who I've played for for the last four years. But in the end um, and on the whole, I think it's going to be um, really beneficial to the league because now you're seeing the spread around of the glory girls and um, the more it's become more professional in the t- in terms of the fact that teams now have to have um, facilities and development programs and junior teams. So it is really exciting um, and I think it'll, it'll be a different league this year. Obviously in the night series we saw Frio go, go up against NTC and we were saying how we can't remember the last time either Northern Redbacks or Queen's Park weren't in the grand final of night series. So it's really great to see those two, those two teams stepping up and to see a bit of change in the league, which is exciting. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I think um, Queen's Park not being in it was a, was a real surprise. I had them already in black ink on the paper. I, I thought they'd be a walk-in. Maybe that was part of the problem. Um, but, yeah. you know, for yourself, um, the NPL obviously professionalisation of the sport across the board, men but particularly females is important and I believe that with the NPL there are some clubs now looking at making match payments to to players Um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no I think think it's great, I mean I know all clubs aren't moving in that direction, there's a few that are paying their players but it's different, obviously. We've always paid our fees to be able to play and now it's all changing. So it's really exciting and it's obviously what the women deserve. I mean, it's the highest level you can get before you move to the W League. So yeah. it's really great to see um, those girls getting rewarded financially as well. And, I mean, yeah, I think it's, there's pros and cons about it. Like, I think um, if, the, if the club is willing to do that, then and they have the uh, financial means to be able to do that, then go for it. And if those, I think it will attract some players, but I think there is still a lot of um, loyalty and team culture that has been built in the existing team. So I don't think it will affect it too much. Uh, that, that sounds no different to the men's NPL, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it really, yeah. but it's a completely different market, of course. Mm. Um, and for clubs, it's sponsorship. So if we can now attract sponsorship for the women's market, yeah, that'll be and a special target. Let's be honest. But when you look at it, more marketable because you know within the the um, MPL setup, 
well, WNPL set up. We've got internationals playing. We've got people like Lexi Marino who yeah. are, are playing. Yeah. They're, they're in the current Australian squads. Um, people like Tash playing, um, who is a, WMP, a WA League player. So, you know, or W League player rather. And it's been able to see quality footballers at that level. And there is more chance of one of these girls coming through and playing for the Matildas than there is of someone in the NPL playing for the Socceroos. The gulf is, is that large. Yeah, and, and that's where the clubs should be targeting. And and I agree with Tash, you know, if the clubs can't afford it, then the players should be recompensed for, Absolutely. Their, for their services. We so. shouldn't be afraid of professionalising this sport and making it more marketable and, and more of a brand. But during the week, uh, you know, there was a, a release by the FFA, Tash, and I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, now the number one sport of uh, girls' participation is now football. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't know that. That's so exciting. It yeah. makes sense, though, with all the momentum that um, and all the movement in women's sport at the moment, and especially with the success of the Matildas. Yeah, I mean, I, mm. I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're aware, Tash, but I followed the Matildas around in France and just as well it was last year with all this virus yeah. going around this year. But, I mean, I just found that a fantastic experience, you know, following our national team. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have happened about 20 years ago, but now because yeah. of the profile of the women's sport, the girls that now used to have to play with boys, they're mm. actually having their own teams, uh, own competitions. The building of, of the women's game um, is just phenomenal worldwide now. Exactly. And I think it was incredible on um, International Women's Day as well to see the support that has um, that has fostered around women's sport. Like, you saw 86,000 at the, the Women's Australian Cricket game. Like, I can't believe they got that many. And it, it gives me goosebumps to even think about it. So, clearly, women's sport on the whole is doing the right thing. And mm. Matilda specifically, are, they're so good with their fans and they're so genuine and they're so, they're so loyal. So, I think that really pays off and the fans really appreciate that and that's why they have such a Oh, look, the fans feel connected, and that's really what it's about with with the the Matildas. But I do worry about it in some cases. I just read an article myself during the week um, that Wildcats have handed back the license for the Perth Lynx, and I don't think that's a, a forward step. I think you know the. They, they should be supporting women's uh, sport as they do in, in all the other sports, and particularly football. But, you know, the professionalisation of women's sport is in, important and it is something we should all be getting behind. So, you know, whilst there's some good stories, um, we've got to really try and arrest the negative ones and, and really get behind women's sport. It's... Um, I see it no different to men's sport. When um, people talk about Sam Kerr, they, they say female football star. For me, she's a, she is a football player, irrespective of gender. Yeah, exactly. She is a football player and she is a professional football player. And the more women we have as professional football players, the better. But I think also exactly the fixtures, I think the fixtures as well yeah. this year, we're going to have double headers. So we're going to have the women's and the men's yep. on the on the same day. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a huge positive step. Mm. Well done, Football West, in um, organising fixtures that way. Yep. Because I think um, whether you, you're there to see the men and women, you're going to get the benefit of seeing both of them. Uh, and to be honest, I remember seeing the glory uh, men and women Doubleheader last year, yeah. 
Uh, the women's game, in fact, Sean, was a better game than the men's. thing is that they're different games. <laughs> the, no, the men's game is very quick, very physical. The women's game is much more technical. And, yeah. and if you don't understand that difference, then you're not going to enjoy it. But, but the I, skill set's there too. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt, the skill set's there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tash, where, where are you going to be playing this year? Are you going to play WNPL? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm playing for Fremantle. Oh, well done. And and <laughs> no, no, they're a good side. They've been around for a long time. They've supported women's football for a long time. So I think it's it's great. There's some really good new clubs coming through. Curtin have really pushed hard to get a, a good and competitive squad up. Um, Balcassar are always strong. So, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting competition. And more importantly, as not like the last couple of years where we've we've not really had strong competition. We're now building a strong competition. It, there may be the haves and have-nots within this, but over a period of time, now that they're there, they can build and, and strengthen their squads, and I think it's a, it's a very, very good initiative. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's the, the um, league is in a great place at the moment, and this is the time where we need to lay, lay those foundations and start to build that those stronger squads and like you said I think there'll be a better spread across the league as well it's going to be less like the top three or four teams are the ones that dominate the league I think this is where um, we start to kind of even out the and uh, the skills sorry and the um, technical ability of all those players and it's great like I said before to spread those glory players amongst the team because now you've got these um, these players that have played at a higher level and then can lift those other players around them and kind of mentor them and lift the, the level of the team too. So it's really exciting. And, and like you said, the the other part of the NPL is that junior development stream and that pathway and that, that needs to be there so that, you know, um, a girl, little girl sitting down there in, you know, Southwest is thinking I'm on a, a pathway of football. They can join an NPL club and then go through and then one day they're leading their, their W League team out on the, the park at uh, Bunbury. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that's a really good point. And one of the reasons that I decided to go Frio in the end was speaking to their coach, um, Thomas. He was saying that their their goal in the end is to not have to source players from other clubs or from the rest of the league. They want to be able to just pull directly from their development team. So you've got an incredible pathway there at Frio with the with the junior girls and then through to the under-23s. And then he wants to be able to one day just be able to go straight to the younger girls and bring them up and it be kind of like a, a life cycle in itself without having to go externally, which is which yeah. is an awesome ability Look, I to think have for the team. That's the dream of, of any football club, whether it's male or female, is to develop your own players that are capable of playing in your first team or beyond. And then every now and again, you, you, you pull in a little bit of quality like a Tash Rigby and say, all right, we need to bring this person in because of what they, they can bring to the club. So you don't always just develop from internal, but if you can bring in someone from the outside that adds to your club, great. But you, your pathway has to be strong, and I think that's, yeah. that's a very good thing. Well, talking about pathways, any of the Glory girls from WA have gone um, overseas to play, Tash? Um, not that I know of. I know that a few of the girls, so like Lexi and Izzy Paletta, have gone over east. So they're going to go and play in the, the NPL over there in Sydney. Um, but the rest of the girls are just staying put for now, I think. 
Yeah, and I think look, with the coronavirus, I know that um, even the Women's League in, in the UK has, has ceased. But once this is over, um, the Europe, Europe is a sleeping giant and they've just discovered Australian players. I see um, Marissa Williams is going over as well now. So there's, there is a pathway and I think, you know, whilst the, the W League is a very small season and a short season, it's still a very highly respected league. And yeah. the exposure there gets you the interest overseas. And, you know, Australian players with, with the emergence of Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford and the others that are making their inroads in the, the, the English competition, we've also got a number of players playing in Spain and France. So the, across Europe, we're, we're being targeted. And I think it's not a bad thing for the development of the game. And whilst we will lose people like Sam and Caitlin, overseas it's very similar to when we had the golden generation in the men's team that you know Viduka and and Kiel had to go to Leeds and Jacob Burns Jacob Burns and all those you know they they had to go to Europe um, because that's where the competition the way the competition was developing and now we're yeah. at a stage now where people are staying a little longer and we are all coming back and playing in in the domestic competition which makes it stronger so yeah look we we yeah. are where we at Exactly right. No, I completely agree. All right. So um, next season, obviously, you'll be you'll be back in in the purple of the glory and and leading from front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said that with such conviction. It's good. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Well, look, well I, I couldn't think of anything else. That <laughs> well, in saying that, uh, has the the squad going to remain the same? Tasha has players already been signed for next season or does it get Not wait yet, till you get closer to the competition and then uh, they start recruiting at what one or yeah. two months before yeah. outside the how's it actually work yeah so we usually we like have a little break and then I think they'll start recruiting in maybe once like two months or something like that but I think we'll, we'll have a very similar team um, especially when it comes to the local girls as well but it'd be great to see the talent that comes through the WMPL this season because I know there's a lot of young up-and-comers so it'd be great to see um, them I know Bobby was at the Give the Night Series Grand Final so hopefully he'll be able to get to a few games and kind of see the local talent showcase and maybe we can bring a few more fresh faces into the uh, into the team which would be exciting Absolutely, now just before we go um, there was a little girl with a, with a dream down there in Margaret River who <laughs> realised some of it, what did it mean to you when you walked out on the pitch at Bunbury with with your team behind you, um, you know, and, and what do you think the impact is on you know girls from the southwest who think it won't happen to me? Yeah, it's so it was so amazing. I always get super emotional when I play down south because I was lucky enough to have so many friends and family at the game. Um, it was actually really even like more special to me because I do coach a little uh, a little team down in Dunstar and. Um, they were able, we organised them to be the mascot, the walkout mascot. So they walked out with our team. We actually went down to Tundra earlier in the season with the whole team and my little girls met my big girls. And so that was a huge moment. And then for them to be able to walk out on the pitch with us um, before the game in Bunbury was just so special to me. So yeah, it, it, it is a dream come true. I honestly like pinch myself every day uh, how lucky I am and how grateful I am to have had these opportunities and I'm so thankful to Bobby and Glory for taking me on but yeah I guess I just yeah. like never give up and there's so many young girls in the country who do deserve that opportunity 
And it'd be lovely to be here and, uh, or listen to the radio in 20 years' time about a little girl yeah. from, from Dunsborough who you know, went out with that team who's now the, the, the captain of the uh, W League <laughs> side for the glory again, you know? So it'd be That's nice right. to be part of that, that story. Tash, as always, you're a joy to have on the radio. Um, best of luck with the season in Fremantle um, and obviously with the glory uh, and anything else you're doing. So thanks for your time. Thank you so much, guys, and thank you for having me on today. Have a great day. Me too, thanks. Yeah, she's a ray of sunshine, that one. Look, it's a, it's wonderful, as I was saying before, you know, we wouldn't be talking women's football about 20 years ago, and now we are, and it's becoming more and more prominent. Front and centre, and, and yeah. And everybody's giving the, um, the pathway, like you say, even in the regional areas. Mm. She's the prime example. You can make it if you want it. You know? Absolutely, the dream is there. Very achievable as well. So, yeah, for young girls out there, um, yeah, just follow your dream. Yeah, and but it takes hard work, of course. It just doesn't fall into your lap. You got to no. work for it. But if you're prepared to put the effort in, you got the opportunity. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, um, we'll go to a break, and we'll be back after that with Ivan's Vela from Western Knights. So we're back after these. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. West Coast Futsal Association has social competitions at Hollywood Futsal Club in West Perth and the Mount Lawley Futsal Club. Competitions are open for new players looking for a kick around with mates from Monday to Friday. For those looking at high level futsal, there is the Junior Leagues in Karanjak on weekends and the Male and Female Super League competitions based in Subiaco. For more information, contact Brittany on 0481 881343. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. And we're back in the room. Um, another night series was played out last week as well with um, Western Knights coming out winners in the end. Um, I think yeah, most people's favourite for it in this one. Um, and joining us from Western Knights this morning is their coach, Ivan Zvela. Good morning, Ivan. How are you? Hi, Sean. Hi, Louis. How are you? Yeah, yeah, Sean. Fantastic. Thanks, mate. Um, congratulations on winning the night series. Um, not an easy thing to win. Um, and your, your boys did the, the job last week, 2-0. Yeah, thank you very much. You're right. It's not an easy competition to win, particularly with a, a very strong State League 1 and some of the State League 2 sides that are in and, and made it to the quarterfinals as well. But we were just pleased to well, come out with the win at the end. It's not an easy competition, as you said. No, it's not. And uh, the other thing is that in the last few years, winning the, the night series has, has has been a bit of a curse for those sides. I think Forestfield um, had a horrendous start after winning it last year. Um, how are you going to arrest that? Well, I suppose it's all about us 
changed history, right? And I yeah. suppose there's a little bit of comfort in that first soccer club uh, won, the MPL won as well, and clearly they've had success at MPL level. And I must admit, I had a discussion with Ramon, the coach. I think you guys spoke to him a little bit earlier. And yeah. We, we did speak about that, and um, guys clearly had success with Perth, and essentially we hope to follow them and, and be competitive every week ourselves. Now, I think every year for the last five or six years, um, when we go through the, the Divi 1 hopefuls and, and the, the, um, the real challenges and the pretenders for the, for the championship, Western Knights are always in, the, in everyone's top four consistently. Um, you won it in 2017. Um, you know, how do you see this competition? It's, it's, as we said earlier on, the night series isn't easy, but the, the league itself is, is very, very hard to win. Yeah, you're right. We're a pretty proud club. Obviously, had a fair amount of history and success throughout the years that the club's been around and I suppose there's internal high standards not just on the field but off the field as well and we know how competitive it is there's clearly a lot of other good clubs out there that operate well off the field as well which then translate to on-field success and in the day we certainly don't have any complacency around what we're trying to do we just go about it our own way and if that's good enough then, then that's ultimately good enough yeah, look, last year you, you certainly gave Gwellop a run for their money, but this year we, we've got um, you know, Kingsway, Fremantle, um, Forestfield, Subiaco. Um, there's Queens. Queens. There, there's a lot of teams there, and I think we, with the exception of Queens, I think every other team in Division 1 has been, has played at the highest level. Um, and that's only because Quinns didn't exist until yeah, recently. Right. But, you know, it's it's a super competitive league. Even, even people who didn't go so well last year, like Mandurah and Joondalup, will be very, very difficult this year. You're right, we certainly don't underestimate anyone. And you look at what Swan have done with, with coming out from Division 2, and we've got them first up next week and I think what happened last year is it certainly increased the hunger of a lot of the other sides that didn't come first and we know all those teams that you just mentioned then they're going to be well not just stronger but hungrier and they're going to want to um, improve from where they come last year so we know it's going to be very very tough but we're looking forward to it and that's the beauty of, of this state league comp yeah, look, I, I, in some ways I think state league one has improved out of sight in the last five years um, and a lot of that is because of, of the NPL. But, um, you know, players who are not making the mark in the NPL, players who have been basically not getting a first-team run but playing in their, their 20s are now coming out and playing in Divi 1 but playing at the first-team level and getting that exposure. So I think that that's helped greatly. Um, and I think the, the teams themselves have become much, much more competitive because the... The one thing that everybody plays for in Division One isn't promotion; is to avoid relegation, and it's that bottom end is not easy. And th- those teams become desperate for points. You're right, especially at the end of the, the season. I think part of the strength of the State League One, or one of the factors, in my opinion, is is the clubs that are in there and those that do have throughout history and and a very well run off the field you mentioned some of them or well, not just us but Kingsway you've got Sterling in there now uh, you, you know you'll even look at some of the other clubs like you said Mandra and Forestfield yeah. you know these, these are the Ashfield that always have 
very, very strong support off the field. You know, they bring supporters, they bring crowds. I mean, I think there was a, I must admit, there was a fairly strong crowd at the State League final on Sunday. I didn't go to the Saturday night's game, but it was just pleasing to see in, in what was a beautiful setup, the Kingsway's ground there. Mm. Yeah, look, and I suppose that's the other thing, that there is a lot of work going on on, on the grounds themselves. Quellup invested a lot last year. Um, Kingsway yeah. have, Forestfield have. Um, so Rocking it's, in. Yeah, it's, uh, well, Rocking with all, probably one of the best facilities in the state. It is, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, you know, the that's one side of it. Um, I suppose for, from a Western Knights perspective, you won in 2017. You didn't have one of the junior sides required. That's right. Um, how are you going this year? Is, is that something you're struggling with again or are you going to be um, compliant to, to go up? No, we're fine. So they, since 2018, they, we've had every single junior team that's required to meet the NPR requirements. So we have officially well, been given the approval by Football West. They do that every year. They do their own audit and yeah. we have passed, which is 2018 and also last year. And what I do know, particularly with our new technical director and Chris, Mark here, he's already got that set up. And, you know, we're seeing a massive increase in our junior numbers, not just that 12 to 16 age gap, but even lower clusters right up until under 11 and 12. It's actually quite sort of an exciting time at the junior set. I think he's struggling to keep up, I must admit, yeah. with all the numbers, but clearly that's a good thing. And although 16s isn't part of the requirement for you, um, it is it is a problem group across the state. I think there's a, a lot of options for a 16-year-old these days, and if they don't make it into right. the MPL, um, they, they're not interested. But there's clubs like Western Knights and Ashfield and others that aren't in the MPL. If you win the, like Gwellup did last year, they won the league. Their first team's gone up, but their juniors are still playing in the other competition because they're not eligible for MPL. And I think with, uh, I'll touch on this, Rob Sherman um, resigning during the week. The, yeah. The, it's a major detriment to the development of football across this state. We've, we had a, a major review that he was heading up about the, the development of kids and that, that uh, pathway through. And the MPL we know is vastly flawed. And you know, these situations are making it even more flawed because you've got a team like Gwellup whose kids should be playing at the highest level who now can't. And there are other teams that have got very, very good juniors who, because they're not in the MPL, can't. And then you've got other teams that their first team's not playing at the highest level but their, their juniors are um, because of a historical thing. I, I just think the whole thing's a mess. But Rob Sherman going was a, a travesty for, for um, Australian football. Yeah, I'm not sure. He seemed to have been getting some good progress from the nine or ten months that he was there, but I must have been probably not the best person to comment. Hmm. Uh, there's such so many minor details in terms of what each different federation tries to do, particularly coming down from FFA. I know Football West, when you do speak to some of the, the people that work there and the volunteers, they are genuinely trying their best to please everyone. Oh, look, they're not to blame. It's a hard game to please everyone. Yeah. Eh? Now, this isn't um, about blaming yeah. people. This is... No, we're, no, we're, stuck with, we're stuck with this horrible situation now where we, we've tried to do the best and please everybody, and the end result is that no one's really happy because even with an NPL juniors, if you're playing and you're beating someone 33-0, that's not any value for anyone. Even the team that's won doesn't get anything from it. So there's, you know, there's... There's something wrong with it. It needs fixing, and the person that was supposed to be fixing it is gone. But there's, that's a side conversation, really. Yeah. Not yeah. Well, it depends. Uh, also, Sean, 
some clubs have no MPL ambition. Mm. Some of them just want to be a social club. So some really, of them just want to develop juniors. They don't want to well, be a senior club. Well, that's the other club. thing yeah. too. So you, you really, I think it, it's a little, little bit more complicated than people actually think because, like I said, it depends on the ambition of the club, why the club was actually set up in the first place. Like mm-hmm. you say, if they just want to be a junior club or they just want to be an amateur club or they just want to be a social club. And then there are other clubs who are want to be professional clubs. Yeah. And therefore, you know, I mean, the, the ones who just want to be junior clubs, they can be a feeder club to the NPL clubs as well. Absolutely. So yeah. there are different structures and it, it's not one that fits all, unfortunately. No. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, so, you, like you said, you've got all your structures in place, team-wise, kids and all that sort of stuff, so you're um, pretty sound there. What about facilities? And, you know, we, we spoke about Forestfield and, and Kingsway and what they've done with their facilities and... I love Nashville. It's a great place to go and watch football. But there, it is a, a dated facility. There are some issues with it, uh, and particularly the change rooms and the, what that offers to players and referees and everybody else. Is there any plans there to do anything? Yeah, I think so. There, the club's got a, a fairly good, a very good relationship with the Muslim Park Council, and that's clearly that they meet, yep. they meet about once a month. I must admit. So the relationship there with you know people such as the councillors, the CEO, and the mayor are very, very good and tight. There is support from that, and I think the facilities, as you said, are pretty good. They're not compared to a forest field or what we saw at Kingsway, but um, as you said, it's just a, a club and environment that everyone feels welcome and everyone seems to enjoy coming to. You, know, you can question the change rooms, etc., yeah. but not to talk negative too much. I'm sure. In my opinion, now change rooms and facilities are better than some of the other clubs that are around. Now, not easy one to talk negative about yeah, anyone else, yeah, but yeah. it's uh, it's still pretty good and, and more than satisfactory, in my opinion. The playing yeah. surface is held up well. We don't yeah. train on it, so we try and hold it for the season. And um, you know, the, the club and the committee they just do an enormous amount of support of work to keep that place tidy and, and respectable. So, I mean. Uh, from my understanding, um, the ground was considered as an option for the Perth Glory to use this yeah. year as well. So I'm not sure how far that went ahead. So clearly, if Glory are okay to use that facility, mm. then um, then it must be pretty good. Oh no! Look, there's there's not a lot wrong with it, and and definitely the best chef ups in the league. So. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to <laughs> yeah, offer. That's right. Yeah, and the, and the coffee's right. not bad either. I can tell you that. Um, so, yeah, for, from that side, though, I mean, it would be nice to have uh, that, that that hill is just a great place to watch the football from. Um, it is. Yeah, but, you know, to have that tiered with some seats would be fantastic and, you know. You're right. Um, it's just that the spectator experience is what it's all about. We, we talk about people wanting to come and, and watch games. I think part of that is we've, we've got to make it um, – attractive for them to be there and that's why you know what Kingsway have done at their ground um, makes what was a good ground even better and Forestfield have done the same um, Gwellup have done the same and I think you know that off the pitch development is something that um, works for you and I think you know for for a player walking out um, as much as I love Nashfield as it is um, to walk out and to have something there that was you know looking like a boutique stadium would just be a little extra boost of course, I think a lot of people <clears throat> would, would like that as well. Yeah. But, um, oh, without a doubt. Maybe one day. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, player stocks, you've you've had some turnover this year? Uh, not really. Well, yes and no. We've only lost two players, but we've been fortunate enough to bring in eight new players, and um, some of them have been specifically targeted, some of them come to us, but we're, uh, we're really pleased with the new players that have come in, and, and more importantly, the players that we've retained hmm. from last year and we do we're fortunate enough to have a fairly big squad but you know the teamwork and, and the culture around our team particularly the players is very strong and the bond that they have and we're all on the same page we all know we're all on the same message and we all know that it's going to take a squad to be competitive every single game yeah, I think um, young Alex up front was a great uh, pickup for you guys. I think he's been courted by NPL sides, um, but you know he's he's just a born goal scorer. Yeah, Alex has been very good for us this year. I've um, got to know him the last couple of years, and finally we, we've got him to our club, and he's friends with with some of the the other people that we've already had in our team so I think that's helped with his transition he's a fairly loyal person and he was always fairly loyal to UWA and fortunately enough for us along with Connor Devlin and Josh Marocchi have also come from UWA they've they've come on board and and are now wearing a night shirt. So how's the squad looking uh, depth wise with your um, 18s and, and the 20s 23s? Yeah, really good. So they've actually, we trained this morning, so unfortunately I couldn't get to watch the you know, A-teams and reserves play. They're playing three out of city this morning uh, at our ground, so couldn't really get to watch that. But the the reserves actually have a fair amount of numbers, as well as the A-teams. Chris Lamacchio, the technical director, and, and also the A-teams coach developed, I think, a squad of 17 for his under-18s. And... So the, the squad and the team, what he thinks is stronger than it was last year. Yeah. No, look, that's terrific. It sounds like you're, you're heading the right direction and at long last, um, this year could be the year for you. So um, terrific uh, work out there. No, thank you. For us, we haven't really spoke about coming first or, or winning the league throughout the season, throughout the pre-season this year. Yeah. Our objective this year is just to play our best team possible every week and, and just be competitive every game. So we don't necessarily want to look too far ahead. We'll look forward to round one. When that's out of the way, we look forward to round two. Yeah, look, I think at this stage of the season, every single team in the league is out there to win it. And I think, you know, it's a it's a very staid question. Um, I suppose ambition-wise, you, you've always had a, a good run in the FFA Cup. Um is that something that you're, you're targeting or you're, you're not that bothered? Or No, absolutely. Why not? It's a, it's a game you play and being involved in those cup moments is special and, and particularly from a playing point of view. You know, players do remember, right? And when the cup game comes around, we're going to be as competitive as we can be. It's a, Competition will take seriously along with every other game. Absolutely. If we're fortunate at, enough to go ahead, then then we'll be blessed with that. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, look, the for Division One clubs and, and particularly yourselves and Gwellup have really shown what Division One clubs are capable of. I think Ashfield made the final a few years back as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
but the standard is is definitely rising and i think you know um people take a division one side lightly at their peril um there's there's a lot of resilience in those teams so it's you know for, for cup games i think they're built for it i agree it's a great competition and it's a great initiative for you know clubs at that level to knock off the big ones that's right mm. yeah no definitely all right, Ivan, um, it's been great having you on. Best of luck for the season. You, you open your account against Swans, who I know will be keen to, to make a good start themselves. We've got Eric Williams at the helm, so that they'll be well coached and well drilled. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I said, until probably the last three or four games of the season, we're not going to know who the, the top three or four yeah. will be. I think that's how it was last year. Um, so That's yeah, right. it's a it's a very very tight competition. It's um, even tighter at the bottom, and you know, teams that were, were in the top four last year could end up in the bottom four next year. That's just the way it is. Everyone's capable That's of right. taking everybody. Absolutely. All right, mate. Well, the best of the season ahead. No worries. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Louis. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Thanks, Ivan. Tom. Have a great day. You too. Okay, Ivan's weather from Western Knights. Um, they are definitely destined for good things. They've they've been there or thereabouts the last ten years, to my knowledge, since they came down from the NPL, so or from the <clears throat> Premier League at the time. Um, and a lot of those issues that kept them down have now gone. So they'll they'll be likely contenders. But you know, as I said, you've got Fremantle there that will certainly see themselves in in that position, um, Kingsway, Forestfield, um, Subiaco, Joondalup, there's just no uh, no end of teams. Well, you've got Ian Ferguson at Queen's, so it's not... And, no, they, well, they see themselves as up and coming. Eric Williams at, um, at Swan. Swan, you know... He's the name <laughs> that you, you, you can't discard. Yeah. I mean, Eric has been very successful, not only as a player, but also as a coach, so... It'd be interesting. I think that's going to be a harder league uh, to win than actually the NPL. It is. It's a tough, tough league. All right, breaking news from Europe. Liverpool to be awarded the Premier League with a plan that could see no teams relegated for next season. Wow. So they are talking about <clears throat> the Premier League being um, suspended till April already. But there's also talk of it going out till September. And if that's the case, then the uh, Premier League is done. I don't know what that would mean. If there's no team being relegated, then what about Leeds and West Brom, who are the top two in the champions, who've earned the right to come up? What happens to them? Um, Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting because do you expand the Premier League to absorb them? and then have a, a mass relegation the following year or keep it at 24 sides. It's... Yeah. Well, I mean, gee, I mean, if you've been in the championship and it's Leeds and uh, West Brom, I think. Yeah, Leeds and West Brom are one and two, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if they don't get... So what are they saying? They're not going to get promoted? Well, no, they're saying they might promote them. There's a plan to have them promoted and expand the Premier League out to 24 rather than 22. Wow. So no one gets relegated, everyone stays in and then, yeah, then what happens, I don't know. Well, then it's a ripple effect right down the other leagues, isn't it? Well, it'd have to, to, yeah. Yeah, 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 it'd have to. But there's, you know, issues down the lower end with teams this year that went, uh, or 
pushed out of the league and started the season with 10 points deductions and you know my home team south end looked like they were going to get relegated maybe they won't <laughs> um so you know around every cloud there's some silver lining but um massive news out of europe anyway yeah um yeah so that's huge and, and we we mentioned it earlier but massive news out of australia was rob sherman's resignation yeah nine months in the job now what's happened there? nine months into a massive review of the player pathway well the thing is he's he's resigned um and he's he's actually put our development back nine months now because that's that nine months that he's spent in the job is now completely burnt and wasted and I wouldn't agree. I, I well, wouldn't he's not heading it up. You get someone else with a completely different idea. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah. he's putting some structures that will be... Um, he's put nothing in place. That's the problem. There is nothing there. He was reviewing it and then was going to recommend the, the changes. Mm. And, you know, we're stuck with what we've got, which we know isn't working. And I think, you know, it's a massive, massive loss. And I don't know what conversations he had with people about that position, but... But why is he gone? Where is he going to? Or was he told to leave? What, what's actually No, no, he resigned. So, um, and I don't know the full details of it, but um, he's obviously gone, I'm not the man for this job, and pulled the pin. But surely, uh, being put in that position, it wouldn't have been a one-year contract. No. It would have been for several years. Yeah, it would have been. So something's happened somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think he was frustrated dealing with the FFA, um, and that's probably the most... It wasn't actually said within the articles I've read, but there was a, a definite sense of of frustration that he was he felt he was being ignored, um, that he felt he wasn't being taken seriously, and that there was no real drive to change what we've got. So, um, but I mean, the, the new CEO has only been there what now three months. Yeah. So. You can only read between the lines. Has there been a clash between the two of them? Who knows? Maybe. I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff not being said in the media, um, and that's well. We're still waiting for yeah. the uh, Alex Stanich um, official reason why he was actually sacked. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, Stadge is another one, um, and then locally, um, we talk about Stadge. Goran Stadge at Balcata has. Resigned a week out or less than a week out from the NPL start, and um, there was a misalignment between him and the new board over at Balcata. So now Bobby Tineski's coming as the the head coach. So um, you know the world of football. Is the short. world of football. <laughs> but but the thing is, and, and I look at Goran. Goran's a great bloke, and he's a he's a no doubt he's a good coach. But he's taken um, last year. Balcata were, were tipped by most pundits to be the team most likely to be in a relegation fight. And he took them to the playoffs. Mm. Massive. Yeah. Um, and now he's out in the cold and, you know, there's a, there's a very good coach out there waiting for a club to happen at. Um, but, yeah, just interesting that we've, we go down that line. Yeah, it seems that, you know, instead of... Picking the, and dealing with people on merit, it seems to be personality clashes, and it continues within the code. You know, people continue shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, but I think you know, at FFA level, you we've hired this bloke 
to to overhaul our development program because we we know we're not producing the players that we were in the past. And whilst there's all this misty-eyed um, view of the golden generation and how they came about, that doesn't work in this day this this day and age. No, I mean, well, it's the first time what for eight years or twelve years that the Ollie Rules actually qualified for the Olympics. Yep. So, I mean, that was a, a huge positive step. Um, if there is going to be Olympics now, who knows? <laughs> so I think the Olympics is going ahead. I, I, I think there's a huge push for it to go ahead. I don't know, like you said, if it will because of the, the coronavirus. Um, at the moment, the intent is it will um, go ahead, but there's so much in doubt. And I think right now the the real doubt in Australian football is the development pathway for our juniors. Each state is hanging on to a version of the NPL, which all of them find problems with. Um, Our our local junior NPL has um, too many clubs in it. It's too restrictive. We don't have any movement in or out of it. Um, you know, and people hark on about the old system, the old district system, and you know, where Football West ran the development side of it. Um, yeah, not a bad thing, but even that had its flaws. It was quite nepotistic. Yeah. Um, and now with the, the glory on board and, and the A-League, the, the pathways aren't as defined as that and you know the glory have taken the pick of the kids from quite early on and and they've got their player contract or their player passport is now tied to the glory rather than it was the clubs Mm. um you look at people like riley warland etc who went from um clubs like forestfield and gosnells through to the ais um and then to the glory um and now obviously he's after an injury he's running a, a gym f45 and, and playing locally, but, uh, you know, we've been developing players, but we've just not pushed them over that peak. And uh, I think, you know, when you look at it, you're competing with European um, academies. European academies run five days a week or seven days a week in, in some cases. The kids live, breathe and eat football. They're, they've got contact with one, one point of contact coach who oversees all points of their development. Here we've got an NPL club that runs two nights a week we've got specialist programs which they may go to a specialist coach or a specialist trainer to to partake in they'll go and see a separate person if they've got any weight work or running they want to work on and then they've got the state squad coach who's again throwing different ideas at them so there's there's multiple messages going into these kids Mm. and they're putting time in but this is not coordinated and organised time and yeah. I think you know when you're competing with European academies that's part of the problem then you've got the other problem is there's no incentive for a club in Australia to develop a player for Australian use because if you've got a kid under 16 playing in your first team in the NPL and an A-league club go we'll have him he signed you get nothing yeah, no, that's there wrong. is no transfer fee. No, no. So that, if you're really good issue. at developing kids, yeah. then you don't get the financial rewards, and that that needs to be fixed. That is that money that drives that engine, and a small club might develop really good players um, along the way, and um, lose them for no reward. And it may not sound like a lot of money, 
But, you know, if a, if a state league club sold a player to an NPL club for 4000 and they, they then on-sold him to an A-league club for 20000 that money goes back into the grassroots clubs that are developing these kids and that helps them. $4,000 for a junior setup is is a sponsor you don't have to find. Yeah, I mean, look at ECU Junlup, how many yeah. kids they turned out and they went straight to England. And, you because know, if you're doing it as a business, if you want to make money at it, you have to sell them to Europe. Yeah. Gloria have done the same thing with Italiano. Yeah. Um, but it, they didn't develop him. No. And what happened to the club that did? Well, exactly. And then I can tell you from, from my own personal experience with signing some, some very talented people is that one of the things they want to do is they, they want to have a, a no development fee clause in case their son does get a contract because for clubs over in Europe and that, they're, they're reticent to pay. Everyone's looking to save money along the way. So it's tricky to... to but um, not, not only just going overseas, Sean, yeah. even interstate. Yeah, you know, as Ramon was saying. Yeah, you know, Heidelberg. They played against Heidelberg. Go, oh, gee, he's a good player. We wouldn't mind him in our squad. Yeah. So he's gone over to Melbourne now. But Francis has played for Perth for God knows how long. He, he's been a Perth player for for a long time. He's now gone over to the to an Eastern States based side for nothing, and they exactly. and Perth SC have had no reward for that. And you know. It, it's it's just sad that that's that's happening, and it's that money needs to go back down. And I think after looking at what the FFA chairman has said, he's looking at introducing a transfer system. And I, I think it's only fair and right that we do. Mm. It doesn't have to be huge money, but it just needs to be some money because that is what seeds your clubs to to do better. And if a club like Forestfield developed five or six players, they ended up playing in the NPL the year after. And they they picked up an average of four or five thousand for them, you know, twenty thirty grand in the coffers of a, a state league club is good money. Yeah, and not only that, you can then put that money back into further development. Yeah, for people to come through yeah. and continue on that cycle. Absolutely. So you know, it's that money that makes the world go round. People aren't willing to pay it, but you, you have to speculate to accumulate. And I think it's something we should be doing. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> Rob Sherman is a great loss. I think um, Goran Stadrick is a great loss from Balcata, although Bobby's a great bloke and I think he'll do well for them. Um, it's just sad that we have to go through all this um, merry-go-round to, to get to where we need to be. For sure. And, and uh, I don't know why, um, as I said before, it continues on and mm. it, it just... It, it, it even astounded me with the the old NSL when you would ha- see one coach sacked from one club and he ends up at another club and then, then oh, the, the, <clears> they're <throat> just rotating both. But you look at braces. the A-League, you've got lots of players. We've got, I think our league's one of the highest percentages of people on a one-year contract. Again, that's not good and the PFA want to do something about it. And one of the ways of doing something about it is to put money on the end of it. I transfer you for this fee, then it might, that will slow down that stuff and people will invest in players, not yeah, the opposite. Anyway, that's enough about that. We'll go to some ads and we'll be back after this with Greg Farrell. Do you want better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. 
and we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station Sponsor. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. 1972, under a scorching June sun, in the French coastal town of Marseille, Two Algerian immigrants awaited the birth of their fifth child. Later that day, a star was born. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Call it soccer, call it football. Myself, Peter Skeeler, Penny Tanner, Sean Kelly, Don Evans and Derek Pollock are the voices in your world football team, sharing the news across WA, Australia and the world for the one and only world game, the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. And that's us back in the room again. Um, Looking like it's getting a bit wet out there and for those people, unlike me, who love playing in the wet, you might want to play somewhere nice and dry. And West Coast Football Futsal have just the place for you. And joining us this morning is Greg Farrell from West Coast Futsal. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Good morning, Greg. Hi, Sean. How are you guys? Good, mate. Um, as I was just saying, it's uh, looking like we might get some rain out there, but it never rains at, at West Coast Futsal, does it? <laughs> well, at our outdoor AstroTurf courts, it, it does a little bit, but... Yeah, they they tend to dry pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, but the, the the indoor competitions, no, we we stay fairly dry all the time, all year round. Actually, rains goals, doesn't it, Greg? Sorry, it rains goals. Well, it certainly does, especially yeah with um <laughs> with the the smaller indoor court, it does rain goals. You're, you're certainly right there. <laughs> so, what's happening out there? Where where are we with your competitions? Are we in mid or late season or starting a new one? Yeah, so for for the majority of our social competitions, the the summer seasons have, have just finished and they're they're ticking over into into winter seasons now. Um, our, our elite level competitions, the the Super League, are they're still a couple of weeks away from from the finals. Um, just we we have a pause over Christmas and New Year for the the national futsal championships because we obviously we lose a, a lot of players to that tournament. Yeah. Um, so we, we have a little bit of a break and then the winter season will start, I think the first or second weekend in May, have a couple of weeks off, have a have a, a presentation over at the, the Vic Hotel after the, the grand finals and and then have a, a week off which will be a lovely rest. Mm-hmm. Um, we we also have our, our school titles going on at the moment. We had uh, 156 teams from... 26 schools register for the tournament. We had the first week um, in Subiaco this week just gone and then we're down at Coburn next next week and then Kingsway the week after. 
Um, very topical at the moment, COVID-19, 156 schools, um, all the restrictions that there are on, on people now. Do you have anything in place to, to mitigate those risks? Yeah, so, well, sorry, just to, to correct, we have 156 teams. Yeah. Um, we, so all of the schools have, um, they have their, their policies and procedures regarding excursions and uh, what needs to happen. So then we work with the venues that we are applying at. So um, Lords in Subiaco, Coburn Arc in Coburn, and then Kingsway Indoor Stadium in, in Madley about the, making sure that there are uh, facilities to, to ensure that the kids are able to wash their hands and shower and, and make sure hygiene is good. Um, and, and we've also put in place instructions for players that despite the fact that we want good sportsmanship, players are not going to shake hands. So they were doing the, the fist bump or the elbow bump. Um, and even yeah. we, we said that if, if, if teams want to do it, rather than any contact where possible, just give, uh, as a group, give the opposition team a clap after the game. Yeah. Um, so it, <laughs> I think a lot of the hype has been people have taken it maybe a step too far. Obviously, we want yeah. to protect people and we don't ever want to put people's health or safety at, at risk. No. But you, you also... A common sense approach. To, don't, don't, don't need to have a million rolls of toilet paper. No. Or, <laughs> well, if you can find some. Hand sanitizer. <laughs> so uh, I think we're, by, by making sure that we, we're open and we talk to people, yeah. ask them to, to continually look after their hygiene, we're, we're, we're pretty safe. Yeah, I was a fan of the, the fist bump until I saw someone with the cold just go and across the back of his hand and I thought, no, that's the fist bump out of the way. Um, and as I said earlier yeah, on, I've, I've resorted to the elbow tap because um, no one's got toilet paper, so I'm not shaking hands for a month. <laughs> but in our game, shouldn't we have the the, the, um, the foot foot tap instead, yeah. you know? Yeah, not yeah, well, a bad option, uh, yeah. uh, couple of the young ones were doing that on Thursday and Friday. That was exactly what they did. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, look, it's good. You've got a common sense approach. Um, the, with a, with the, the national hysteria surrounding this, and I think, you know, football's probably one of the ones where we, we should be leading the way. Um, your national championships, are, are they at risk because of this with all the, the restrictions on travel, spectators, etc.? Or do you think they'll still well, go we, ahead? So, well, we, we've got a national schools championships in September. I yeah. think like, it, it, it's going to be just play it by ear. Like, yeah. we, were, we were supposed to be taking taking four teams over to Madrid in August uh, for, for a tournament. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we've, we've postponed that just because th- there's no situation where you can guarantee people's health and safety, but... Yeah. The, the the risks involved with buses and planes and airports. Yeah, but again, you know, we are we are talking when September, October, um, uh, in Europe. That's not flu season. That's actually where it's quite warm, particularly in Spain. And these things don't survive too well in the heat. So you know, the common sense approach. I think if we if we stop everything, someone has said um, it would take four months for us to beat the virus. If, if none of us leave our homes for the next four months, and that's obviously not practical. Um, no, it's not, it's not practical yeah. at all, certainly. And that's but a problem. It's is. more also than the, 
there, and, and this is a, from the government, we've taken advice from the government and travel agents and that sort of thing, with the possibility of cancellations of flights and quarantines and people not being able to then have time at work, all of those mm. things have to factor into the decision. But the yeah. problem is, Greg, we don't know when this is going to finish. I mean, if they said it's we're going to be virus-free by August, then everybody can start planning their lives, but we just don't know. Is this no, going to well, continue and, for and, another and year or two or two months? Who yeah, knows? Well, and, and that, that's the advice that I've that, that I have heard is that, that, well, that they're not expecting a vaccine to be available until late in the year or early 2021. So yeah. it's not going to be a matter of this is going to be by during. No, I watched a program this morning. They, they've got they've got a virus, uh, sorry, uh, an antidote they've got. They can test. They're testing it on mice at the moment. Um, human trials are going to take a while and it'll be at least September, October before we actually have have something. So, you know, it is, yeah. after all, a cold. The, the usual universal precautions will put you in good stead. I think playing something like um, futsal will certainly help you keep fit and healthy. Um, and you know that's that's your biggest defence against it. Good hand hygiene, keep yourself fit and healthy. And if you've got an underlying health issue, by all means, be concerned, go see a doctor. But uh, for the most of us who who probably will get it, um, it's going to make you feel terrible for a little while. Stay away from everyone whilst you've got it, and we'll all get on through this just fine. Yeah, well, and, and that that is the other thing is just making responsible choices. If you're not feeling well don't go and possibly infect a whole group of other people. Yeah. And I think that the, the football the football associations worldwide are sort of taking that stance where they're making, putting matches and even other sporting associations. But I think stopping the NBA completely was maybe uh, a, a big step. But then you look at the, the rugby league, the Cronulla Sharks player who's got it. Um, and then he's been interacting with 25 of the Cronulla Sharks, and if one of them then hasn't has it been tested, and then they go and play somebody else this weekend, yeah, I know, it, it but can have, each, it can have that flow-on effect. Each one of those players has family who have children, family, who have grandparents, who yeah, exactly. go to the shops, go to the library, go everywhere else, you know. And before yeah. you know it, we've all got it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Simple thing: hand hygiene, cover when you cough. And if you feel sick, self-isolate. Not a problem. We'll all get through this. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get my usual hug from Sean this week either, Greg, just to let you know. Uh, that's, it's a, that, would, that would not be a, a nice day for you, then. You're, you're missing your hug. <laughs> hey, 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 I've got feelings, you know. They're, they're very <laughs> deeply buried, but I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, getting back to the futsal. Um, so at the moment, is you recruiting or is there a possibility for people who are looking to pick up a game, come down and get a game in the socials or whatever? Oh, yeah, certainly. We're, we're always looking for, for new teams and new players for for the social competition. There's um, Monday to Friday in in Netherlands, in Mount Lawley, um, over in Claremont, and then we have junior competitions Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in Mount Lawley in Netherlands as well, and then in Karanup and, and Subiaco. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities as well. So, Greg, if you're... Online for people to... Sorry, Greg. So, if you're an individual just walking off the street and you you, you can't organise your own team, you'll slot somebody into a team. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's there's always social teams that are are looking for a player who's 
who's keen and committed and wants to play, even uh, a part-time player who who's FIFO if they yep. do every second week or every third week. There's there's a, a situation for every single player. So how how do people get hold of you? Uh, so they can get in touch with us through through the website. Um, we've got contact forms or there's, there's mobile numbers and email addresses all over the place for for the various venues. Um, they can if if anyone's keen, they can give me a call. Um, and what age groups? Number. What age groups, Greg? From so juniors, we, we, for, we have yeah. So we have a Gold Brazil and and Junior Futsal Academy, which caters for three-year-olds to nine-year-olds and then they they start competitions at, at seven um and we we have our, our c and d social grades which i think our our current oldest player is 62 in the, in the, d, the social d grade excellent um, yeah that's good so it, it, it's anyone who wants to play uh we we're looking at a, a walking futsal um at the moment it's with with my knee injury, it's sort of my level these days. So, um, something that I'm I'm quite keen on exploring and expanding into. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested. <laughs> I actually had a go. I had actually had a go at that uh, walking futsal, and I tell you, it's just so difficult to restrain yourself from trying to run. Might be for you, because, it ain't for me. <laughs> because it's just you know embedded in you that you know you run to the ball, but. Yeah, just yeah. Muscle muscle memory is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think in Sean's case, he'll pull a hammy. He has to walk anyway. It's so. a very, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very distant memory. But yeah, muscle memory still there. But no, I actually enjoy the walking football. I think it's a great, great little sport. It's I a think. Con- good concept, it's isn't it? It's a great concept. Yeah. And and certainly for um, men over a certain age, it's it's very and good. ladies. And we don't we don't do and, enough. And women. Yeah, I know. And women. You know, one of the things I see that is. In in the UK, it was primarily um, developed for men over 50 with diabetes. Um, at my own club, where I've, I've tried it a couple of times, we just had open slather and, and yeah, the girls enjoy it just as well. And the wonderful thing about it is, it doesn't matter what age you are or what gender you are, you are still competitive. Yeah. yeah it it's a real, it is a real leveller. It's an evener, yeah. 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 So it is a very enjoyable sport. It can be enjoyed by all people. Yeah, the the young kids tend to walk a little bit faster than you do. Just me. <laughs> yeah, but they, I stop them just as quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Between bust out one of those old school tackles. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, mate. So look, there's plenty of options for people that are um, interested. Um, there's venues all over Perth, so you know, just. Don't think of it being in one location. There are several locations, um, and it's there for everybody. And if you develop the walking football, let us know because um, yeah, definitely interested. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is something that we are looking at introducing at, at both uh, Netherlands and, and Mount Lawley venues. So yeah, something that will be on the card soon. Excellent. All right, Greg, look, thank you very much for your time, mate. There's so much more we could talk about, but, um, you know, just nice to hear that you, you've got the, the health and the interest of, of your, your players utmost and that uh, it's a sensible approach rather than uh, a hysterical approach. Uh, and, yeah, obviously just keep everyone safe. Yeah, certainly. No, nobody benefits from, from doing things over the top. It's just about making sure everyone's in, everyone understands and, and I'm a... A former school teacher. So, the better we can educate people and have people thinking for themselves, yeah, 
the better off we're all going to be. I think Absolutely. that's a key. Yeah, I think that's a key, Greg. You know, it, it's it's the problem has been the last couple of weeks is the total unknown, but now more yeah. and more information, especially from medical uh, specialists, that we're starting to hear now, and and, and Sean's been saying it all morning, you know, about washing your hands, not touching your face and all this sort of stuff. Once we know how it is transmitted and that's educated through the population, the less chance it'll be um, passed on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Greg, thanks for your time. All right, gentlemen, have a good weekend. You too. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Okay, that's Greg Farrell from West Coast Futsal. Um, Yeah, I think, you know... Good hand hygiene is the key. Um, and if you are feeling sick, then don't go to work and seek medical help if you need to. If you've got underlying health issues, do it. Um, okay, so Rob Sherman, struggling to get endorsement for some of the stakeholders on his plans around player pathways, the curriculum and coach education. Uh, he, was, he felt he wasn't making the progress he wanted. He was facing opposition from Football Victoria over his plans for academy players from A-League clubs to have more exposure in the NPL, uh, where some existing teams were concerned over the impact that might have on their place in the pecking order. Um, so no, nothing unusual in that. Um, he's faced a difficult task in dealing with the politics of federations. So that's generally why he was there. He felt he wasn't making any change. He didn't feel that people were interested in the change and that he wasn't getting the backing he needed from the FFA. So that's why he's gone. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, you've got a guy with a vision and, you know, we keep on talking, Sean, about the football family, um, but it's sort of, if you go and affect me, I don't want to know. Yeah. Instead of for the, the holistic um, approach well, look, it, in, in looking after the game as a whole instead of just my, my backyard. I absolutely. Mean. But when you look at it, you, you've got um, like the glory are playing in, in our NPL. And I know a lot of people complain they take the best kids and all this sort of stuff. But what they also do is they return the best kids. So some of those players that don't quite make the grade, who don't get a contract to over east or overseas or in the A-League, come back into our system. Um, when we talked to Ramon Falzone, you know, Luke Bodnar and Nedjik from Glory, both played in the Glory squad last year. They've come out of that system. They're now falling back into the NPL, which is just making the NPL stronger. Mm. And there's been a few of the music, Sala before him. There's, there's a number of players who've gone back in at state league level and Riley Warland I know he's taken injury but he was you know up there um, he's now back in the state league so whilst it's it is they're taking the best kids they are taking the best kids they're they're helping them be the best they can be and then some of those and it's only a very very small percentage of those will go on to be professional footballers the rest of them come back into either the NPL in Australia or NPL in WA and in, in either case those players are still making the game stronger. So I think, you know, their development pathway is, is five days a week. It's a lot of contact hours. No, no, well, say so no club can do it. We, I know of one club that can do it, um, but the, the rest of them are doing two days a week, six hours contact max, um, plus a game. So, you know, it's always going to be hard to compete with the glory on that basis, but we can't stop the kids getting the development, and that's really the key. Well, that's what you want for the kids, isn't it? I Absolutely. mean, that, that's that's really what um, 
Yeah. All clubs that I know of, if, if a kid comes knocking on yep. the door and they said, you know, my ambition is to go uh, play for a A-League team, yep. I mean, what, you say no, you, Look, you we, can't, you, we're going to hold you back? Years I mean, ago at our club we had a player who had very good um, Premier League player in his day, had had some exposure to, the, to playing at glory level came back into the State League and played for us at the State League Club. What he, what he brought to us, other than his, his actual playing ability, was a professional attitude. He was the first one to training. He was the last one to leave. He would practice things after the training session had finished. Um, just the way he approached the game, his, his mental preparation and everything else rubbed off on the rest of the squad. Mm. And these are things that the, the boys have been through. The Glory program have picked up a professional mindset and one of the things we seem to be very afraid of in this state is professionalising our sport. And I think if we professionalise it, we, we will make it better. And you know, professional clubs are going to be so much better than amateur clubs. And I think you know, professionalisation is the way to go. Yeah, and, and just touching back on the transfer for you that you were talking yeah. about before, I think what if they do bring it in, then the FFA have going to have to put a restriction on the amount that can be charged because you don't want a situation where you've got a really good player and put a ridiculous amount of money on top of their head that that the the clubs will then say well you know for me to transfer from club A to B that your club is now putting you know 20 grand on it obviously the NPL club can't afford that yeah or, or even that the A-League would say, well, no, we're not going to pay that sort I, of I money. think the, the market will define what, what you do. I think there needs to be some form of, of um, arbitration or review, but I think in general people will go, look, you want 20 grand for him to be honest, he's, he's at best a 10 grand player or whatever it is. But I think to restrict it, if you, if you unearth the next Messi and someone's prepared to offer you big money for him and you know what you're on, you, you're going to try and, and maximise that that money i don't think that's a problem but i think you know limiting it also then limits the the, the ability of a team to develop a superstar but you know but the in the market, past though, market forces work yeah, but it, but in the past yeah. there's been some players that they've had a fallout with and they put a ridiculous price on he said so he can't play for any other club i know so you've yeah. got to watch see oh, that absolutely. aspect but there has as well. to be there has to be some mechanism in place to make that happen yeah and I think you know it is it is what's going to drive the the um the market and I think uh, well once we start to do that the the funding goes into it and then we're we're going away from it being a grassroots funded um sport to being a development funded sport and if that's the way we go that's going to be a much much smarter system because then we're, we're developing players as an incentive for a grassroots club to invest in in, in good coaching. Um, uh, we talk about the girls. The girls are a real market that's that's untapped at the moment. Most of these girls have got mum and dad coaches and you know very committed people and very good coaches. But if you had professional coaches who are doing that as a profession, who are then bringing those people up, they they would grow in. Um, technical ability so much quicker and be much more competitive in an open market again transferring um to a bigger club 
So, yeah, there's money in it. All right, Bags Groove will be on very shortly. Len's quietly and patiently there setting up for his show. So this will um, be the end of ours. Um, Lou, as always, it's a pleasure, mate. Um, Good to have you in the studio. Um, For those of you at home, please cough, cover, wash your hands. Um, If you don't have sanitizer, it's not the end of the world. Soap and water works. Just sing happy birthday to yourself whilst you're doing it. Um, Stay safe, everybody. Be around to listen to Penny next week. Thank you for listening. This has been the World Football Programme. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.